You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept doing this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome back to another Two Bucks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and this is the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Today, I have Jason Denham on the podcast, and Jason is the, the I would say, founder, operator of Wild Meat Gear. Uh, Wild Meat Gear has been up and running for about a year now, a little over a year is what you said, Jason, as we are talking yep. in the green screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... Big year. Obviously, the first year is the um, is the big year. Everything has to get. It seems like everything has to get done at the same time, and <laughs> and and it. We've a lot of people have been there. They felt that. What was it like for you when you were th- going through the launch process? Well, last year uh, when we kind of went live, we just had one product, and that was the wild meat stamp uh, for labeling your meat packages and. I didn't have a super cohesive plan. I had this product idea kind of on the back burner and I finally pulled a trigger and thought, Hey, let's, let's do it. Uh, let's launch this in the fall of 22. Why, why prolong this? And really my only plan was, um, uh, I partnered with Dan Staten of Elk Shape, um, thinking that, uh, he already has done a lot of heavy lifting to create an audience. And if I can partner in this company with him, then I have access to that group and we can kind of keep going from there. And so um, I didn't do really, I'm not a marketing guru. I'm still learning like a lot about that. And I feel like it's a constantly changing thing, but um, the podcast was helpful and this one will be too. So thank you for this opportunity just to tell people about it because people don't know what they don't know. And just because you have a website <laughs> doesn't mean anyone's ever going to know about it. Right. So getting the word out is I think probably my number one challenge at this point. Yeah. I, I think the marketing aspect is the long-term challenge of any like outdoor entrepreneurial effort. Um, and it's almost like it doesn't even matter if you just have products either. You know, if you're a, if you're a content creator, like it is so hard to get your stuff out there and have people, find you, find your stuff. It's hard for businesses that sell products to get out there. Um, but I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to have you on the website. And I think part of the, part of what's going to probably help you quite a bit is how, like, how nice your products fit in the marketplace and how big of a need there are for some of your products. Like the, starting with just the meat stamp, right? I mean, you've got one. Um, show the folks what the meat stamp is. Yeah. So think of a library stamp when you were a kid and you still had to check out books manually, right? So you've got different bands and these stamps actually had made in Germany. (laughs) Uh, It's very hard to find a stamp manufacturer that will let you customize things like this. Anyway, on one dial, there's 10 different um, big game species here. And then on the next dial, there's 10 different um, cuts of meat. And then on the last two dials, it's just numbers, zero through nine. So, you know, you can do it by the year, like 23, or some people that get multiple animals in a year can just label it one, two, and three. Uh, so there's options there. But, um, and then we partnered that with, um, so it comes with a, an ink pad, which is dry, of course, but it also comes with these two bottles and they're in the bag here. But the black one here is an ink. This is a very special ink. It's almost $300 a gallon. It's like liquid gold pretty much. But the, the reason we use this is it's very quick drying on um, paper or plastic. So I historically have wrapped my meat in paper um, and that's worked fine for me, butcher paper. But not all inks will work on a plastic like a, a vacuum pack bag, for example. Mm. They'll smear because they don't dry fast enough or whatever. Well, this stuff... Um, works great on plastic and it dries quickly. So, um, and then this liquid bottle, I think it's called a reactivator. And so part of this drying out quickly, if you come back a week later, your ink pad's going to be hard and dry. And this kind of adds moisture to that and lets it function again. So you just kind of go back and forth using this throughout a season if you use it multiple times. 
Oh wow! And all of that obviously comes with the kit when you get yeah well yeah you get this whole whole kit. Wow, sure. that's a bargain. I think. I mean, it's obviously <clears throat> way faster than using the sharpie. Number one. I mean, you just bam, bam. I mean, you're just done. Yep. You're cruising. I obviously yep. have my video shaking because I'm pounding on my desk. But, <laughs> but, and then the other thing that I've found with like using a sharpie is you're in the middle of of meat. Your hands are dirty. You're trying to like run this sharpie without getting it too dirty, and usually the handwriting is horrendous, especially oh, on uneven pieces of of game. And so yep. now you can't even read what you wrote. That's definitely my problem. So. My wife and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary and we were away this weekend and I had written some notes down that she um, was reading and she's like, I can't even read your writing. And that's like a normal day, um, not after, you know, six or eight hours of processing an elk and I'm not rushing. But so it gets really bad for me in that scenario. And then my my problem, too, was bad handwriting rushing and then I would try to make really clever abbreviations just to simplify the process with the Sharpie. And anyway, it was, it was a bad combo. So, you know, four months later, me or my wife or my kids would go to the freezer to get something and we'd have to try to sit there and figure out <laughs> what it is that I had marked. Right. So this was kind of a solution for my own problem. And I thought, Hey, you know, I can't be the only one that struggles with this and it can be a great, a great, gift to your entire family not just yourself right oh yeah speaking of gifts i mean this is going to come out a little bit early for holiday shopping but it would be a great holiday gift for whoever in your family likes to butcher their own game i mean i butcher everything myself and our family butchers i would say 80 percent of everything ourselves and so it's like i could get this to my brother or my dad um yep my my in-laws they all like to butcher their own game i mean perfect present and you're always that's one thing that's kind of unique with like your product because a lot of times when you're shopping for someone like us, it's like, man, what should I get Jason for Christmas? Well, he's got all the hunting gear he could ever need. He's probably got too much. Um, so I can't, you know, and I don't know if he's got this or that already. He's got something, I'm sure. So you never know what to get the guy because like when we do it ourselves, we're usually pretty particular about our gear. For sure. And so it's you're down to like, the gear, especially yeah. the gear you take in the field. I feel like that's where people put most of their focus. Right. And then when they get an animal down, they're kind of in this oh crap situation where, you know, either they know how to manage it and take care of it like you or they don't and they want to try it, which is great. I really want to encourage people to process their own game. There's so many, I think, benefits and great things to pass on to your kids. Um, or they're scrambling to try to find a butcher. And I increasingly hear that that's harder and harder to find. More and oh, more yeah. butchers who, who basically do domestic farm animals are turning away wild game. They just don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah, and if you can find them, it's obviously incredibly expensive. So that yep. is a challenge. And yeah, so you could get them a wild meat stamp. And there's like a very strong chance they have not got one yet. Because yeah, it's a new sure. product, it's there's new nothing thing. like it out on the market, um, and so that would be a great Christmas gift for someone. Um, a lot of times, you know, our family we usually do our butchering over the Christmas holiday because everyone's off work. We kind of freeze everything, you nice. know. And some years, I mean, I think one year we had 17 big game animals between the six wow. of us. Wow, nice. So it got that's a project. <laughs> yeah, it was busy. Uh, a couple of the elk we brought in just because of like timing and not everyone lives in the same town, so it's easiest to just bring those in. But everything sure. else, antelope, the deer, all that stuff, we did ourselves. Um, and so yeah, no, that would be a great present. That would be a, a, like it's a it's a good fit, and it I think that product ironically comes with like a lot of great opportunity marketing because first of all like people see it and they can they can see the value right you don't have to explain the value because it's so well designed and it's so easy to understand and I think that's that's a challenge if you have a very complex product you're like what am I how am I supposed to use this I don't I don't get it right if you have to explain how to use it you're on a fighting an uphill battle it might still be the greatest product and maybe down the road everyone you know you'd start to change culture that you start to people start to understand your product more 
Um, but with yours, it's like, yeah, I get it. I've been there. I've felt that pain. And so that will help. But then just like you, the short form video content opportunities that you have, like you could just, when you go out and harvest a deer later this year, you have all your packages ready to go and you just have like a, a little video of you just stamping each one. Like all of a sudden you can create a lot of short form video content, which is the fastest growing, you know, segment mm. of content right now. Like the TikToks, the Instagram reels, the YouTube shorts. Yeah. Your products have some very unique opportunity versus like a complex problem. You can't really, you can't really make a 13 second video describing, yeah. you know, how you would, you know, for example, apply for a Western tag. Like all those websites are horrendous. Yeah. So that's not a yeah. good product to start a market with a short form video. Yep. Agreed. So that's been exciting. What, what have you found um, associated with the launch or, or like getting things, you know, part of the launch process that I was kind of alluding to is like when you start a company in that first year, it's like, I got to start the email. I got to start my website. I got to get the products. Yep. I got to get my packaging figured out. I got to figure out what my shipping is going to look like. I got to, you know, set up my email list. I got to do like all the marketing. I got to create posts and I got to do email blasts and I have to figure out how to receive money and I have to make sure everything's working. And it's, it's like everything's done at once. Are you starting to feel like you're at the point where things are starting to starting to kind of settle into a routine? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I'm somewhat new to the hunting industry as far as being a product provider. And so, I am discovering at least so far that it's somewhat seasonal. Like you kind of have August through January or August through just into Christmas. And then it, it pretty much slows up for the sales. Um, spring was, was pretty slow. There were a few people out, you know, spring bear hunting. Um, so it's kind of a seasonal thing in that. And, and the off season gives us time to do product development and try to develop more things in the business. But yeah, it's smooth enough now. Um, you know, business isn't crazy, but it's moving forward. And we've got a new product that we launched this summer that's um, being shipped here from overseas. It should land here hopefully within about seven days that I'm really excited for. And so got some pre-orders and I'm really excited to, to ship those out to those initial customers. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. So I assume you're referring to the meat locker. Yeah, the meat locker. So um, this is another solution that I kind of needed in my life, just based on uh, my deer and elk hunting history. Um, the idea of having my own walk-in cooler for hanging meat before butchering was something that I could really only dream of. I, I live in a neighborhood. I don't have space to add a permanent um, structure for that function. And um, it was about this time last year that the idea started popping into my head. and. Um, I thought, you know what I need is a very insulated yet foldable enclosure. And then we can plug in an air conditioner, have that uh, controlled by a cool bot, which I've known about for years. And I said, I bet this would work. You know, you could use it for, you know, whatever you need in the fall, one, two, three weeks. And then the whole thing folds away and it doesn't take up permanent space. And I thought, shoot, we're, we're using window mount air conditioner, right? So why not use that in your house all summer, keep your wife and kids more comfortable. And then, uh, you know, you can use it for a couple of weeks in the fall to process your big game. And so I made a prototype, uh, real rough in our, in our, uh, office space here, um, last December. And I'm telling you it worked and I thought I got something here. And so started reaching out to manufacturers, had a prototype made last spring and, um, got some initial interest and with videos that we posted on Instagram with that and, and basically launched the product this summer. And, and we've got several units, uh, that are complete now. It's everything's done. Um, except a couple of parts for the meat pole system are being made locally to machine shop, hopefully this week. But, um, so basically we have an insulated enclosure. This is what we sell the insulated enclosure and it comes with a stainless steel folding table that, holds an air conditioner at the right elevation because we have a, a built-in port in the side of the wall of this enclosure that wraps around kind of the opening of an air conditioner to let the air go right in. And then on the inside. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors, creators of the only American-made fire-insulated modular gun safe on the market. 
That means you no longer have to convince three or four of your buddies to help you move your safe. No more blown out backs or pulled muscles and no more dings and dents to your home. They recommend having two people to lift and assemble your safe, which would make it incredibly easy because I just put my Recon 32 together by myself and I had it set up in less than an hour. I carried each panel of my safe into my home with just my two hands, yet once assembled, it had the same security and ruggedness you would expect from a gun safe. They have designed an integrated door frame, so it is nearly impossible to get into your gun safe without the code, which means your firearms are always 100% secure. Before I had my Steelhead Outdoors safe, I needed to get three buddies to help me move my old safe in and out of my home, and it was always the most stressful part of moving. But not anymore. Plus, every Steelhead Outdoors safe is made right here in Minnesota from start to finish, which means you are supporting a local business when you buy a Steelhead Outdoors safe. Check out SteelheadOutdoors.com to see all of their size and color options and pick the right one for you. And use the code 2BUCKS, that's one word, 2BUCKS, to save $150 on your Steelhead Outdoors safe are two heavy-duty stands and then a telescoping uh, horizontal pole to hang your deer quarters, elk quarters, whatever. And I've tested it to oh, 440 pounds and it was no problem. It could go much higher. And you could even have two meat pole systems crisscrossing in there. And you could probably have two, if not three, elk hanging in there by quarters. I mean, it's, there's a lot of capacity there. So it's a very exciting product. What we don't supply is the air conditioner or the cool bot, but we have links to those on our, on our website and uh, they're readily available. So. Yeah. That sounds like a great system. It looks like, so I'm from the Midwest and so ice fishing is a huge cultural thing. It looks like it's a very similar structure to an ice fishing house. Would that is. be an option for someone that's like, man, that's kind of, a, you know, it's an investment for sure. I get it. It's just like, how am I going to sell this? It's like, oh, I could use my meat locker in September, October, November for meat. And then once ice fishing season comes around, I can, can, can you close off the air conditioner unit and then use the same structure as your ice fishing house? Yeah. So it's the, the design started basically as an ice fishing tent. We've modified it in a few ways. So we have more layers of fabric and more insulation in the walls. Um, so just to retain the coolness from the air conditioner better than the ice fishing tents. And then, yeah, so there is a port with a duct going to the air conditioner, mm -hmm. but right where that enters the enclosure of the meat locker, there is a flap that you can zipper up and totally block off the outside. So for people who live, you know, where ice fishing is a thing, I live in Washington. It's not really much of a thing here, but, it definitely would function as an ice fishing tent in the winter and you could use it as a refrigerated walk-in cooler in the fall or any, any time of the year. You know, this is a product that I th think also reaches out to a lot of small farmers or homesteaders that have sheep, goats, pigs, cattle. They can butcher their animals and use this as a walk-in cooler too. They, they could do it all themselves rather than calling in an outside butcher, right? Yeah. Yeah, imagine how many chickens you could hang. Oh, man. Yeah, lots. <laughs> and it sounds like it would even be a better ice fishing structure because it's more insulated. So you'd it's stay more warmer. insulated. Yeah. yeah. There's there's five layers of material to the walls. It's all quilted together, and uh, there's more insulation than your standard ice fishing shelter for sure. So, so you said it's more insulated. So that would mean that, like, if you sold a conversion kit, for someone to use their like igloo or their Eskimo or their otter pop up, they might not get enough cooling. They might not be able to insulate their like their, their, like if you sold a conversion kit mm -hmm. to like help you know zip in their door or some you know like a duct. Yeah, yeah. It, it would it would maybe not work as well because there's well here's the thing enough. you could still get it down to a cool enough temperature if your outside temperature isn't too high. So as you're losing insulation, like right now, if we're in the shade, but it's 80 degrees out, we can get down to like 38, 39 degrees inside. So there's, there's roughly, let's say a 40 degree Delta you can achieve and you can't go below freezing. That's just the nature of air conditioners. But 
if you have less insulation in that example, maybe you can get to 38 only if it's 75 degrees outside or if it's 70 degrees outside, like the Delta mm. that you can achieve is just going to be less because it's an efficiency thing. Look, if you had a solid stud frame building with four to six inches of insulation, it's going to be way higher R value than what I'm talking about with our tent. But with this tent, it's good enough where with the air conditioner, you can run it for one or two weeks. You know, you might spend 12 to 15 bucks on electricity over that period of time, but you don't have to build an expensive building either. And it doesn't take up space. So, you know, oh, the, the, yeah. the tent itself folds down to about the diameter of a golf bag and it's a little bit taller. It's about five and a half feet tall, but everything folds into a corner and goes away very neatly. So, um, that's a very convenient thing for, for folks. Yeah. I'm thinking it's for anyone that hunts and ice fishes, it's a no brainer um for sure plus you could can you get could you could someone get multiple pole systems is there an yeah, option so our kit our kit comes with one pole system we plan to add to the website very soon i know i've said this before but there's a lot of things we're working on but um where they can order a uh, an additional pole system uh with that order so that way they could have two in there yeah, because that would allow you to have like a deer camp. Like, in, like if you go to deer camp and you shot like maybe six whitetails, so you you're probably looking at, you know, three hundred to four hundred pounds. Well, you said the first one, that would fit on one. But I, you know what yeah. I mean. Like if you if you got too big, so you couldn't get them all in one pole. You, yeah. Because the structure is large. I mean, what is that like seven by seven, eight by eight feet? Yeah, it's about eight by eight, but it, it tilts in a little bit on the sides, so the meat pole goes diagonally up at the peaks of the build, of the enclosure. And it's about uh, seven feet, four inches length of pipe on the meat pole. And so um, there's quite a bit of room there, but if you had two going crisscross, man, it's definitely a deer camp or elk camp situation. Um, and especially if you have a, you know, a trailer with a generator, man, you can run that thing indefinitely. And a lot of places will cool down at night enough where you probably don't need to run the air conditioner, but you, you would during the day. So, you know, you just and that's what the generator during the day. Cool bot helps with, right? Like if it, yep. if it senses how much it needs to run and automatically adjusts. Yeah. Yeah. It be, most air conditioners are only programmed to go down to 60 degrees. And so when you plug in a cool bot to the air conditioner, it basically takes over control of the air conditioner and then you can dial it down. You can dial it to 50 or 48 or, or down to like 35 and the air conditioner will, will run until it gets that cool. So that's how it works. Yeah. That'd be perfect. Or like a short pole, you could get like your long diagonal and then like two, like a short in the corner. So like go short, long, short as you fill it up. Or maybe yep. like if someone's like, Hey man, we got like a big elk camp. We're going to need like three, six foot poles. You could just maybe put them. Yeah. Start building them out as you start knocking down elk. Yeah. And the poles, like I say, they're made out of the horizontal pole is made out of two sections and they, they nest inside of each other for oh. compact storage. So you can adjust that length, almost to anything you want in there. So whether you do it diagonally or parallel with the sides. Oh, people are going to love that option. Yeah. How about, have we thought about predators yet? Have you thought about how to thought about like predator no. prevention? No, that's, that's on the hunter. You know, if you got predators at camp, you're going to be dealing with that anyway. So, yeah, that could be a, that could be a, like a, a potential like accessory. Like you could have, you could have an accessory product for like a, um, a short electric fence kit with like four or six poles and some wire and like the little hookup to hook it into your generator as well. Yeah, that would be a pretty cool. That's a good idea. Because I thought for sure, as soon as I saw it, like, yeah, I don't think you'd probably have uh, problems with like meso predators, like coyotes or raccoons. Like, I I think the structure's probably going to do a great job of keeping them out unless it's like up for a long time on uneven ground. Like there's gaps in the floor or something or or a very, very hungry coyote. But a bear would, you basically just built a bear like a little uh, elk burrito. Yeah. (laughs) So that might be a challenge, but yeah, very cool, very cool product. And so I've seen some of your videos since we've connected and you've got, I saw the one video where you had, it looked like four or five game bags hanging and then you hung yep. from it as well. Yep. Um, and I assume those might've been like test game bags just with like 
you know, weight in them. But are yeah. you thinking long term that you might have an option for like a, an integrated game bag as well that kind of works better with your pole or like what does the hanging of the actual bags look like? So I haven't quite thought about developing game bags. Um, and there's different ways to attach them if that's what you're talking about. I've used anything from rope with carabiners to clip things on. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm leaving the attachment of, of the meat to the end user because there's a variety of ways of doing it. I have looked into getting uh, hooks to hang on, which would be great for quarters. But um, like in my backpacking experience, typically what I do is, is bone the meat out in the field and then you have bags. And well, the bags you saw um, had nice um, cords that you could just tie around the pole fairly easily. So there's mm. a various various ways people could attach their bags or hook their meat on there. Yeah. 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 That sounds like good. So it was the, was the strategy, was the meat locker your long-term idea from the beginning was like, I, I no. came up with this idea and I want to build this, but I need a product to help me get rolling first. No, ultimately it was a stamp. So I came up with this idea like in 2017 and had some made in 2018 just i had five samples made just to test the concept and i used them since then but it just kind of sat on the back burner until let's see i think it was early 2022 so early spring of last year i'm like you know this is a year i got to try to launch this and so um this was this was the only product on my mind at that point but just as i've been thinking more and more and someone, in fact, well, it was Dan of Elk Shape. He's like, you know, you got to think up, you got to have more SKUs than just just a stamp. And so my mind started thinking about other ways to help hunters. And I'm kind of thinking like between pulling the trigger, whether that's on a bow or a rifle, all the way to putting meat on your table. In that space, there's a lot that happens. Mm -hmm. And how can we help people? Um, in that process, both people who are already doing it now and, and new people, because there's a lot of new hunters, especially adult onset hunters who are trying to figure out the whole thing. And it can be overwhelming, you know. Um, and so I'm really hoping that we can have a whole new generation of people processing their own meat, having their kids buy them, helping them in the process in their garage. I just think from a tradition and heritage standpoint and just practicality of where meat comes from. It's not in a saran wrap piece of foam in the grocery store. Like right. it comes from a living animal. You know, we have respect for them. We try not to waste anything. We try to eat healthy meat that we harvest ourselves. There's just so many good things there. Um, and so I'm trying to focus on that space to, to help lives, um, help hunters lives be easier to take care of their, their catch. So. Yeah, well, I, I do definitely agree with the multiple SKUs guidance that Dan, I mean, Dan, obviously, I've talked to him on the podcast. He's an incredibly sharp dude and yeah. very focused on whatever he chooses to be focused on, yeah. um, which is usually fitness and elk hunting. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's a great, I think there's two thoughts here. I think it's great to get started and it's get something out there and it doesn't have to be the final product. Cause I, I looked at the two products and I could have, I could have seen a picture where you always were thinking the meat locker, but that's a big product that takes more development. It may, it takes a lot more logistics. Let's launch with an entry product that gets people familiar with our brand. It gets us familiar with running a business. Once we get that going, then we'll launch the, the, you know, I think there's some value in that. That way you don't kind of sink yourself before you learn how to swim in a way. Yep, yep. Um, but once you get going, I do definitely think there's a lot to be said for multiple SKUs. Give people an opportunity to interact with your brand more, especially in the line of work that you are in with, with durable goods. I mean, your your meat stamp is going to last a lifetime. Yep. So and you, this, you don't have an product, LTV if you only product, sell one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, repeat customers with the products we have, is going to be a challenge, right? It's generally a one-time sale, but this product is not going to really move the needle much in business. In fact, if we're lucky, we're breaking even on this, but I see it as a way of building the brand, getting awareness. And when they, when they use our stamp and see how it helps, then those people might be more likely to look at our other products, whether it's the meat locker or other things. I, we're looking at getting into, um, 
Well, I just got a couple prototypes last week in the mail. So I'm testing a couple of meat grinders, vacuum packers. You know, those are more standard products that are not unique, so to speak, but would serve our, our customers well. So those are things we're looking to possibly bring to the market next year, as well as hopefully we'll come up with some other unique ideas too. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple, I'll give you two ideas for free that you could probably okay. put on your podcast tomorrow. I think there'd be a huge market for a wild game fish stamp. Yeah. have thought of that for sure. Walleye, panfish, um, trout, salmon, pike, you know, whatever it is. And, and you probably, you know, you could take that a lot of different ways, but obviously the years or the, or the, for that, it could be inches if people are like sorting their fish by size so that they fry evenly in a fryer or, um, I like year. I assume most people are doing year that way you can keep tabs on, on, on what, what's in the freezer or maybe month year, but I don't think you would maybe need the two, um, description, descriptor roles because it's, you know. You don't really have multiple cuts of walleye, right? You For just, sure. You just have the one. And then a small game. Turkey, pheasant, duck, goose, rabbit, squirrel. Um, you know, all of those would be, I think there's a big market for those as well. Um, and Yeah, and, someone on Instagram just asked me about that over this weekend. Yeah. A small game. And a, another one where you probably don't even need to go down to, like, the level of what type of cut it is. He's like a pheasant. Um for one, yeah. a majority of people usually only take the breast meat. Unfortunately, there's not been a good way to figure out how to get the tendons out of the legs. Um, and if you do keep the tendons in the legs, it's that's probably more easy to decide, like to tell what it is, yeah. right? But pheasant yeah. is like the big one. Is this pheasant or is this goose? I don't know. You know, oh, here, the stamp says it's a goose. We shot this in 2023. Um, yeah, I think that would be super easy skews to add. And, and the nice thing about something like that from a business standpoint is that is something right in your – like you know who to contact. You know – you probably have the guy's name in Germany or the woman's name that you called with to work on this one. You could just say, hey, I'm sending you over a file. Can we get another stamp? And, it, yep, you know, it sure. could be – and you, you're confident it's going to work. Like that's one of the things where you could almost like do the artwork and put the – the product listing up on the website before you actually see them. Right. Cause you're just yep. so confident. Like I've done this yep. before. Those would be, I think huge markets. I mean, the fishing market is you could, you could probably do freshwater saltwater. I mean, yeah, I've thought about several different segments for sure. You know, one tailored kind of towards the Pacific Northwest, Alaska crowd. Um, yeah. Even like Gulf of Mexico, Florida fishing crowd. They've got a ton of fishing. Down and none there. of them overlap. So they wouldn't need the yep. same options on one. You know, you got the Midwest crowd that, you know, I'd never catch a salmon, so I don't need the salmon one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe that gives you, uh, you know, three skews out of just the fishing. You could do, like, lobster, shrimp, crab, um, halibut, salmon, trout, all the Pacific Northwest fish. You could do all of the southern fish, tarpon, redfish, snapper, um, and then you could do the Midwestern fish and, you know, you still might struggle with repeat customers because because someone that's tarpon fishing probably isn't the person that's going to be salmon fishing in Alaska sure. or, or might not be shooting elk in Colorado. But it still broadens your horizon. It opens you up into so many different markets and demographics, and it just helps your brand grow. So that would be yep. a fun one. And so many people hunt and fish. I mean, it's yeah, they are, you know, probably America's oldest pastimes, right? They used to be a necessity to survive. Now they're a hobby, you know, pastime, but um, millions of people participate in, in these activities every year, right? So yeah, I think market. Stephen Rinella said at one time that he said, every single person that traps hunts, not everyone that hunts traps, but everyone that traps will hunt. And then he's mm-hmm. like, and to the same token, almost everyone that hunts will fish. Huh. Maybe not everyone that fishes hunts, but there's kind of like this hierarchy of like fishing is a good entry point to the outdoors. Then people might dabble in hunting and then some people go on, you know, maybe to level three and start trapping, sure. you know, but they obviously get smaller as you go. But for that, you know, in the reverse, the fishing, I would say is probably 10 times the market size as hunting is hmm. maybe even more. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be very fun. So, yeah, that was one idea. And then the second idea I've been looking for, this is kind of a personal project. I'm going to give it to you because realistically I will never do anything with this idea. 
<laughs> but I want a, you know what a can cooker is? For like crab, cooking crab? Uh, well, there's like the Seth McGinn can cooker. It's a brand. It's a, it's a hunting pressure cooker pot. It's a big yeah. pot with a lid. You seal it and you cook like people will do like stews like or a backstrap roast. Um, but it's a hunting. It's basically a hunting pressure cooker with it's no electronics. It's just a pot and a sealed lid. And you like put it on a fire or a grill. Yeah, I remember looking at those probably, I don't know, three or four years ago. So it's been a while. I would love to have a pressure cooker like that, like in concept, a simple lid and vessel. But instead of a pot, like a tall, deep pot, I would love it to be a long, wide, flat, more of like a, a cookie sheet or a tin and so, you know, what, what I would use it for, and I think maybe a lot of people would start to get interest in this, would be um, pressure cooking the cuts of meat that most people hate to butcher, to hate to cut up. So, like, shanks. I've been lately slow cooking my shanks and making, like, pulled taco meat or barbacoa out of them. And it's a great yep. way to use your shanks because no one loves, no one loves deboning a shank i mean that all the tendons and muscle groups it's just a nightmare and yeah you can do like asabuco but a lot of people probably that's outside their palate you know that's just outside of their comfort zone right like it's like eh, i don't know i you know i don't like to do that so i've always wanted to do something where i could shoot two three deer and put eight or 12 shanks in one thing put it on my pellet grill and just slow cook them with some seasonings and some moisture and then open up the lid and just pull the bone right out, put the, the pulled meat mm. in the you know, jar. And then I've, I've gotten to the point now where when I shoot a white-tailed doe, I don't even debone the front shoulder. I just cook the whole front shoulder on the pellet grill. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it's, you know, you're, like your flat irons on a white-tailed doe, especially a younger white-tailed doe, I mean, you're getting like a half-inch flat iron. And, you know, like a lot, none of the muscle groups are that big. And when mm-hmm. you just slice the front shoulder off, I wrap it in a um, some type of, of cling wrap to get perfect air control so there's not, like, an air gap getting in frost. And then I'll okay. wrap it in butcher paper a lot of times and put it in the, yep. the freezer. But if you could – but then when you start doing that, you got to get that size. And that that's the tricky part that's not on the market is, like, a, a pressure cooker that lets you put in – a 24 or a 30 inch cut. Hmm. So I think that would be super cool. Maybe, you know, you wouldn't have to go terribly tall with it. Six, eight inches would probably be plenty. Maybe like a six inch, a six inch like cookie sheet with a two inch lid. And you, maybe you need like four clamps to clamp it tight enough because you got so much surface area to hold the pressure in. Yeah. But I think it could be quite simple. I think if you had the right machining contacts and mechanical design, like you probably do, it could be a pretty simple product. I just looked at it and was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to invest the time and resources to start a company with one product in the meat space. <laughs> so I'd never done anything with it, but I've always wanted one. I think a lot of people would learn to cook with shanks and like all these cuts that aren't fun to deal with when it comes time to butcher. Yeah. That would be interesting. There's definitely some engineering work there because having the wider and deeper, you know, it's going to increase the surface area of pressure pushing on that lid compared to a narrow, tall pot. Yeah. So structurally, it would require a lot of clamping and a really robust seal and a, and a structurally sound top and bottom to resist bulging. But, hey. Yes, it would be a challenge. It would yeah. be hard. You'd probably have to use, like, heavier gauge metals harder metals. Um, But also, how does it work? Do you have to get 100% pressure containment for a pressure cooker to work? Or could you have a, like a pressure cooker that just can't off gas as fast as it would like to? Yeah, I think even if you, you know, like you say, if it just had a slow leak, um, off gassing some of the steam, it, you know, I think what mainly is needed, just like is it would just be basically a slow cooker. You could probably do this without any pressure or seal, even just having a lid. And it just basically turns into a large slow cooker on your pellet grill right. where it's contained. There's always going to be moisture in there because it's not just vaporizing off. And maybe you don't need the pressure aspect at all. 
you just need a large container with a lid to contain most of the moisture. But, you know, if a cup of liquid evaporates over the course of three or four hours, that's not a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, the pressure cooker, I think, advantage is, is the temperature and pressure that you cook quicker but maybe that's not necessary for this. Well, that would be great because it does take like eight to 12 hours, depending to cook down that, that shank meat until it's real pullable. So the pressure would definitely be added. I see the challenge and it might not be like as feasible, but yeah, I have a roaster. I have like a, I don't know what it is, a 22 quart roaster. And that's what I've been using so far. Okay. Just one of the one of the things I don't enjoy about it is first of all I can't do the batch sizes I want because you know no one in my family will take the shanks. They huh. once we always used to debone them and it took forever. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, hey, we could cook these bone in if you guys want, and they're like, well, I don't really want to deal with it, but I don't want to butcher it either. So if you want them, you can have them all. So like, I'll go home with 32 shanks from the eight deer from deer camp. And so I would love to batch process like taco meat. And then I use that just for my meal preps and stuff. Yeah. And so the size is a concern with the roaster. I can't do it all. But then it's also so deep. There's so much moisture that I'm like digging through trying to find like, is there any more pieces? Is there any more bones? It makes a mess indoors. Like it would be a great thing if I could do it outside. Just keep all the mess outside, you yeah. know, do it all out there. So I think that would be pretty cool. And maybe you can just come up with sizes. Maybe not everyone wants like a 40-inch <laughs> roaster kit like I do, but... Yeah, it could be I like that idea. There's a lot of ideas I have too for this business and other businesses. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, I've got to pick certain ones. I can't do them all because it takes focus over a long period of time and a lot of effort to, uh, to make a product. Like for example, this meat locker took way more work than I ever imagined to, to get to the point where it is now where I've got them shipping to me in our warehouse and and we can start shipping them to our customers. Like it, it took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a complex product. The, the fish stamps and the small game stamps, I bet you'll be pretty efficient on those ones. Yeah. That would be an easier thing to add for sure. Yeah. Those will be, we efficient. just got to figure out how to get the, the production at the cost of goods lower so that they turn into being profitable for a business because business in, at the end of the day has to be profitable. Yeah. Otherwise you go out of business and you can't serve your customers anymore. And so there's this fine line between um, getting a product out there to build your brand, but you do need to bring in cash that's profit um, to pay yourself and your staff and your facility so that you can continue to serve your customers for years to come and not just be a flash that came and went in 18 months. So. Yeah, that's as great. a hunter, do you cut and wrap your own meat? With the big game meets. Oh, I just played the video on your website and it came up. Okay. <laughs> um, that's where that came from. But um, yeah, would that help then if you did the, if you did um, like the fish stamp or a small game stamp, would that increase your, because a lot of the pieces would be the same. So would that increase your economies of scale to a point where you could get a price break? Yeah, I think so. Like we could get the ink and the uh, the clear liquid and the packaging in, in a little bit larger quantities. Um, yeah, I think it would help. The, the main thing is the more we sell, you know, our buying power grows and we can get more product, you know, new inventory in larger amounts and and start to get better pricing that way too. That's yeah. a that's a very helpful. Thing. Even the stamp, like a lot of the parts of the stamp would be very close to the same or exactly the same. You would just have a different um roller bands yeah yep. band yeah yeah and i'm assuming that's not what makes or breaks the the design is the band after it's designed i mean no it's just difficult to find companies that have the ability to customize the yeah. the text on there and the companies that make these all these i thought heck i'll make them myself you know but <laughs> all these different components like man the companies that make that have it pretty pretty locked down where really? if you're not in the club you can't uh you can't buy those components to make your own things. Yeah, that would be hard to start with that, especially if it's not something that's like you're already doing. Like if you were a machinist, you, then you could say like, well, I'll just machine my own pieces, yep. whatever I need. But, yep. you know, you're not a, obviously you're not a molder. Like you don't have, you're not, you don't mold rubber all day long. Nope. So nope. that's, that would be a very, that would be a challenge for sure. But, but it makes sense. 
that's why you don't see something like this on the marketplace. And then yeah. that, I mean, in a way, it kind of gives you a competitive advantage. Anytime the, you know, your barrier to entry is high, your yeah. competition is going to be lower. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that with a previous podcast guest, Logan uh, Taves from Alpine Ranch Freeze Dried Meals. He's like, <laughs> we had to put a ton of money into making a freeze dried meal company. We had to build our own kitchen. We had to get USDA and FDA certifications mm. i mean it's just endless and it's like well now you know why there's only like five different freeze-dried meal companies out there because nobody wants to go through that work on the flip mm. side i have a beard oil company there is no regulation for cosmetics i mean virtually none in the cosmetics industry and and so and the products are easy i mean you can go online and look up recipes Anyone can make beard oil. I mean, you can make, you could sell one meat stamp as slim as your margins are and start a beard oil company with your, with your proceeds. And, but that's where you get thousands of different beard oil brands. I mean, everyone's got one. I just did it because yeah. I wanted, because I had a beard and I wanted to, you know, make the hunting version of it. But, um, there's definitely a ton of competition in that space. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you got one hand up on that is you did the time to figure it out. So now you get to reap the rewards over time now. Yeah. And I think our main challenge is just getting the product in front of people so that they know it exists. That's, that's our number one challenge at this point. What strategies have you tried? And like, I mean, maybe if you've tried enough, which ones did you decide weren't worth the time or the effort or the resources and which ones have you seen that are paying off? Um, pretty well, well, I would say, we haven't quite learned that yet, but we're trying a few things. So like this summer in July, we went to a, um, uh, an archery shoot where it's up in the mountains and they mm. set up courses and we uh, like were tech. a vendor. Yeah. That type of thing. It wasn't that big of an event, but it was that type okay. of a thing here in Washington state. And, um, on one hand, it was really great because a number of people did stop and check out our products. And we had a lot of great conversations and met a lot of great people, including, the other vendors. But my perception was overall that generally the clientele coming there, they were coming to shoot. And the vendor thing was like, yeah, maybe I'll go over there and look and maybe I won't. And so it makes me think more about the uh, sportsman shows that occur like in January, February, March, mm. where really the people are going to see the brands, to see the products. They're not going there to shoot or you know, they want to see the gear ultimately. And I think maybe they have a different mindset and are willing to spend more time um, checking out all the vendors. So um, considering doing one or two of those shows this winter, um, I also just got some ad space in a magazine that's going to come out right, you know, before Christmas. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. So it's just, you just have to test the waters. There's no guaranteed solution. We just have to test a few different things, spend some money, put in some effort and time. The trade shows, it's a lot of work. Like yeah. you've got to get your product there. You got to get set up. You have very long days talking to people, which is great, but they are long days. And then you pack up and you go home and you hope that you made a difference and um, gave people enough people an opportunity to touch and see and learn about your product. Because it's one thing to see it online or see little videos, but the trade show does let people physically see it and they can walk into the meat locker and physically feel just how cold it is in there. And that really gets their attention. Like, Oh, this is a real deal. Like, right. It's way different than just seeing a video and Oh, that thing says it's 38 degrees. Well, when you feel 38 degrees, it's, it's impressive. So um, I think getting in front of real people at shows, I think will be helpful, but we can't do them all. And um, so it's matters kind of strategically picking one or two this winter and, and just seeing how that goes. And when we did it this summer, we didn't have product yet. You know, I had my prototype, the product was on order to be made, but um, I couldn't sell them the tent with the meat pole system right then and there, you know, I, right. I could take pre-orders and I did, which was great. Um, and that's what I'm excited about now is in a week or so we will have, an inventory of actual product ready to sell. So like if you place an order on Tuesday next week, hopefully I'll be able to ship it out on the next day, which, which is something I've been dreaming of for months now. So I'm very excited to have inventory. Yeah. Inventory would be great. Um, 
I've always done the beard oil out of inventory. I've done all of our fundraisers out of inventory. Unless it's like a custom-made shirt-type fundraiser, then obviously I have to make it. But I have the inventory. Like, I have the shirts. I have the the vinyl. I can do all the stuff. But I feel like the stress of, of taking orders without having product yet would just drive me up a wall of, of like, yeah, we'll ship. You know, once you've ordered, we'll order. It'll be like four weeks. And then you're emailing and saying, ah, the supplier's a little late. Now it'll be six weeks. And, you know, yep. they're emailing you every week. Hey, has it come in yet? Has it come in yet? I mean, nobody wants, nobody starts a business for that kind of stress. So yeah. it's nice yeah, to get this, to the, way, the place you are. The stress is definitely the waiting to get the product here so that I can serve my customers. Having pre-orders took that stress away incrementally more and more, which with each pre-order we received in my mind was just a validation that this is a Mm -hmm. product that will serve these people. And I'm not just alone in my thinking, right? So the more pre-orders we received just gave me more and more confidence that, Hey, we're onto something. People are willing to trust and put down money on, on a product we don't even have yet. It's a concept, you know, we have them being made, but, so that really helped my stress level reduce over time. There was about a week where I was really like on the edge of, do I pull the trigger on this order and essentially gamble with a lot of personal money that took a lot of time to save up. And um, I finally decided, you know, we got to go for it. And I, I'm really glad I did. In fact, I wish I hadn't spent a week on it. I wish I could have made that decision at the beginning of the week and we'd have the product a week earlier than we do now. But um, you know, you have to wrestle with that because it affects your family and your livelihood and you need to, uh, you need to make wise decisions. You don't want to be reckless. And, but, um, I'm very encouraged by the pre-orders that pre-orders that we have received. So I feel like I made the right decision. Yeah. Have you thought at all of strategically picking people to work with? I mean, up to the point of giving them a free meat locker system, and and you might even have to like work with them on the the cool bot and the AC if it's the right person, and helping grow some some brand trust with that way. When you see someone that like you know, I go to like think of Cameron Haynes. Yep. Like if people see Cameron Haynes using this system, they're instantly gonna say, okay, well he shoots a ton of elk. He knows what he's doing. He's yep. he's a dedicated outdoorsman, and if he's using it, obviously it must work. And so like that, you would probably get your payoff if that someone oh, like that was willing time. to do that. Yeah. But you got to be strategic. Like you, you almost would have to look at like how many hunts a year do they do where they would realistically use this? You know, are they doing hunts with different people? Are they putting the presence online? Um, you know, are, and are they doing that already? Because it's hard. You can't say like, oh, if you give me one, I would post more. You know, that doesn't work. Um you can't really pick someone that hunts rifle season in Minnesota because they're never going to use it because it's it's usually too damn cold for us yep. anyway that time of year. <laughs> so we just ha- we hope they don't freeze. Like usually that's more of our trouble is we're hoping things don't freeze yeah. on us so we can actually butcher it if we want to butcher it at the end of deer camp. And so it's like you need to find those people that are doing like four different antelope hunts a year. Yeah, for sure. It's been on my mind. Um, I've been so busy getting the product ready um, through the manufacturing process that I haven't selected people, but I've been thinking about it for quite some time. Yeah. Now, obviously, um, Dan will so help. So, Dan will help. And uh, a friend of mine who lives in Eastern Washington recently got an elk in, in Montana. So, we drove and met halfway, and he's, he's used the meat locker for the last week. And I've gotten some, some, uh, photos and video out of that. And there's other people locally that I know that might get deer or elk in the coming weeks um, that can use that prototype too. So we're, I'm getting some media that way, but um, working with, you know, I hate the word influencer, but people that already have a following where they can help spread the word, that's, that's going to be a very powerful tool for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there. I think there's people, um, there's a sweet spot. So if I think of like someone like Drury Outdoors, for example, mm-hmm. they shoot a ton of deer and they shoot a lot of deer early season, but I'm guessing as busy as they are, they just bring them in and have them butchered. 
you know, I would just logistically, they're filming a TV show. They're, you know, they're not meat eater. They're not on the meat, the foodie side of the business. So I bet when they're shooting these early season does, they're just bringing it to their local butcher shop and they come and pick up all the packages at the end of the year. Now, I might be wrong. I might be flat out wrong. I've never seen a piece of content they've ever produced, though. That's them butchering deer. So you almost need a, that sweet spot where someone still does it themselves, whether because they like it or they just are trying to avoid butcher fees, but they also have that presence, and they're not too big to the point where they just pay someone to you know take care of their deer yep. when they leave. And so that's it would be challenging, but there's a lot of people out there like that. I mean, we started bow hunting our new farm, this week and unfortunately our temperatures have come down a little bit but if we were to shoot something we would have to butcher it you know quite fast because it was 80 degrees last week here wow yeah yeah huh and you can't hang deer very long at 80 degrees yeah i mean going back to you know targeting an influencer i i kind of think that at least for us working with a smaller to medium size influencer person as far as their followers would be kind of the sweet spot Right. Because we might be able to work with, you know, a small number of them and slowly work our way up over time. And, um, yeah, I think that's a powerful tool for sure. Yeah. Elk camps would be good because it's so portable. I mean, yep. it's very portable if you're doing – I mean, we're going out west next year for antelope. I'm bringing my wife out on her first western hunt. If we can get nice. an antelope tag, I know that's kind of tricky with the lace winter that we've had. But, um yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity. But, you know, I was actually just listening to a podcast this weekend, a Joe Rogan podcast with Jeffy, Jesse Griffiths, who is um, a a professional wild game chef down in Texas, specializes in hogs. Um, but he was talking, like, how critical it is to keep your meat dry. Not only mm-hmm. cold, but dry. Like, mm-hmm. you cannot put your quarters in the bottom of a cooler and dump ice on them because they're just going to get waterlogged. You're going to lose all of the color. It's going to be a disaster to try to butcher because it's going to just be soft and floppy. Like you want your meat to stay dry, which is a challenge. If you're like, if your thought is I'm just going to use coolers, like how do I keep the meat dry and cold in a cooler? And now you got to start doing like game bags inside of contractor bags managing your ice better, draining your coolers all the time so they don't, like, soak up and turn into, like, a ice bath. Um, and that's where your meat locker completely skips that step. There yeah. is no moisture. I mean, it protects it from the rain, and you're keeping it cool without ice slash water. And so it's a, it'll go miles towards, like, increasing the quality of your game because a lot of antelope hunters – especially the ones that I talk to that are very in the know, like antelope, you have to keep cold and you have to cool them down fast. Hmm. And so up until now, I've just been antelope hunting with an, uh, f- uh, with coolers full of ice in my pickup. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I hunt with it, but then you put the quarter and the antelope in the coolers on ice and now the meat's getting wet. It's staying wet. That's that can, that can grow some bacteria, especially if you're not as cold as you think you are. And so it's a huge issue, and I think that would be a you know one huge step in the right direction. Most hunters already have a generator that they could probably run a, a wall, um, like a window AC unit. Yep. And they have the understanding of keeping meat cold. Yeah. And they sure. don't have to run around with coolers full of ice all day. Yeah, with the air conditioner, you know, there's good circulation of air. The meat definitely dries. What's interesting watching the color of the meat, like these elk quarters that my friend has hanging, you know, you have that bright, fresh red meat look. Well, a week later, you know, they're dry on the outside. It's darkened a lot. I mean, it really looks good. And I think, it, I think he's going to have some very tender and very flavorful meat off of those quarters compared is, to if he had just butchered it right off the bat. And is he trying to do some dry aging or is he like, I just got back from elk camp, but logistically, I, like, I don't have time to butcher my elk tonight. Yeah, so his, I think his goal was like, give it a week, let it age and tenderize a little bit, and then basically start, at his convenience, tackle one quarter a night. Because that's another big problem that I faced is generally when we got back from elk camp, we put it in like a refrigerator, still mm-hmm. in contractor bags. And all that does is keep it cold, but it's not drying. There's moisture trapped in there big time. So there was this rush to, you know, within a couple of days to spend a whole day butchering one or two elk. 
And the struggle there is, okay, you've already been gone for a week from your wife and your kids. Right. You've got time. You need to catch up with them. You've got work that's piled up, but, oh, we need to put everything on hold and butcher for a whole day. And it honestly was massively inconvenient. And so with the meat locker, everything's hanging. It just buys you time really to, to the next weekend or the weekend after, or you can do it in the evenings. Like you're not under any sort of a pressure of a timeline. You can spend time with your wife and kids and kind of get reconnected and then butcher the meat. It doesn't become an ongoing that can become a pain point. Like you've been gone from your wife all week. She wants you around or needs you to help with things. And, Oh, I need another day to butcher. Like that's not always a pretty situation. So yeah, it's another benefit of having a, a, a walk-in cooler. Just now I was thinking about it and about like how people are using it and all this stuff. And I'm wondering, do you think there would be a way to have a dual purpose meat locker where you could, you could plug it into the window AC unit and use it as a cooler, but then you could plug it into some type of an electric heat source and use it as a smoker. Possibly. You obviously wouldn't want to do wood smoke because you'd probably light the thing on fire. So I have thought about actually, because I've camped for years elk hunting um, in a, in a teepee with a, a wood stove inside you know, hunting rifle season in the Cascade mountain range here in Washington, that was like a total game changer to stay warm mm -hmm. uh, at night to then in the morning real quick before you headed out. And so I have seen some of these pop-up shelters that are built basically to act as like a sauna for people. Um, and they do have a stove jack in the roof. And so for this first batch, I thought, let's keep it somewhat focused and simple, but yeah. I can see adding, um, a small wood stove just just to expand what you can do with this enclosure right and a and a smoker could be one of those um so potentially that could be the case yeah yeah you would definitely want to take a unit that's seen its use and you've got your value out of it and then yep. see what happens <laughs> if we because part of like i use an electric smoker and it's just like it's small so i got to do a bunch of batches and that can be annoying because yep. then all of a sudden you got like a mess all weekend long versus just one day. But a lot of people don't have like a big smokehouse anymore. Yeah, for you know? sure. Like you, what do you do? Like if, like I would love to make 50 pounds of snack sticks and 50 pounds of brats and 50 pounds of sausage and summer sausage. Like I like big batches. Like I want to do it once. I want to work hard for one day and be done and have There's massive efficiency to be gained there. I mean, it saves you so much time if you can do it all at once and be done. Yeah. I want to dirty my meat, my, the sausage grinder and the stuffer once, and then I want to clean it once. I don't want to do this every day yeah. because I have a small smoker. I just don't know, you know, because you would need to, even with my electric smoker, we do like wet wood chips to get some smoke flavor yeah, for sure. And you would have to like, see what does that do to the, the shelter and like what temperatures can the shelter take and how are we making sure we don't overheat the shelter? And that's why I think like a wood sourced fire might be tricky for that because you mm -hmm. just don't want to get too hot, but it's also a lot, obviously cheaper than electric. Yeah, it's heat. something, it's something to test. Yeah. Maybe I'll ship one out and let you test. Cause it sounds like you're already an expert in smoking. So you could, you could uh, try okay. it. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I want to go on record saying I'm not an expert. If anyone tastes, I, I, I try very hard. I, that's the engineer part of me. I like the science. Sure. I try figuring it out. But, sure. but yeah, that, I would love to, I would happy to be happy to test you out. If you got yeah. any prototypes laying around that you're not using anymore because you're on to using real production units, I, I'm sure we could figure out something. Yep. So, but yeah, awesome. Well, Jason, it's been great hearing the story. I obviously, anytime we talk about hunting and, and food, I get excited. And so we kind of dove off on a couple of rabbit holes, but it's very exciting to hear the journey that you're on, um, how the first year has gone, some of the products. It sounds like you have a lot in your imagination for what to do next with the company. And so I'm very excited to stay tuned and follow along. And before we wrap up, I'd love for you to have the opportunity to share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along on social media, where they can order some of these products we've talked about if they're, if they're getting ready for butchering themselves this fall. Sure. Uh, well, the, the main place to go is our website, wildmeatgear.com. 
And you can see our products there. There's a number of videos on the website um, that are basically copied from our Instagram account. So you can see um, other people using the meat stamps. You can see the meat locker in use. Um, and then we are on Instagram. So it's just Instagram.com slash wild meat gear. Um, I do have a, a small YouTube account. Again, it's wild meat gear and a small Facebook account, wild meat gear. But I put most of the effort into Instagram. That's where most of the presence is. Um, but ultimately, the website is the best place to go. Awesome. Well, as usual, we will put the links to those places in the show notes of this episode. So you can just scroll down and click on, on the links, and it'll bring you right over to wildmeatdeer.com and their social media pages. Appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. Awesome. Well, I thank you for being here. Thank you for being flexible. I know I went on a hunt and then you were on a hunt and, and now yeah. I'm leaving again for another trip. And so we finally found a time that works for both of us that we could sneak this in. And, yeah. and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And, and like I said, I'm very excited to see the company grow and the new products that you got in mind. Hopefully one of them down the road is a, is a front quarter pressure cooker. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Awesome. I'll be a customer number one on that one. That sounds good. You'll probably have to tell me when it's going live, but if you tell me when it's going live, then I will be customer number one. Well, I think what we do there is I'd send you prototypes and have you say which ones work best because there you go. That works. I'll still be customer number you're... one when yeah, the final yeah, the things one's done. you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Perfect. Well, great to have you here. Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for listening, folks.